Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. It's Adam. Previously on the Smart Home Show, we talked with our panel of experts about my current home theater project. Today, we're going to dig in even more and talk about screens, projectors, speakers, and more. It was another great discussion, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed having it. Hey, everyone. I'm Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Hey, Adam. Hey, Richard. Good to talk to you, as always. And this is the second of our series of episodes focused around planning and building your home theater. So we've, again, asked some colleagues and industry experts to join us and help guide you. And, you know, if anybody listening has ever thought of doing this themselves them too through this process. So let's do what we did last time. I don't think we need to give quite as much time this time, but a quick round robin to introduce ourselves. TJ. Yeah, I'm TJ. I own a AV company called Connect U, and we are based in Columbus, Ohio. And Owen? Uh, my name's Owen Maddock. I own Cinema Works, which is um, a home cinema fit focus company in Bristol in the UK. And Seth. Hey everyone, Seth Johnson here. I'm part of the, I mean, I, I guess I participate in the industry as much as I work for a distributor and do software development for them, but I'm part of the Home Tech Podcast, one, one of the three hosts along with TJ. Oh yeah, I guess that's probably important to uh, announce as well, right? <laughs> well, I'll get an opportunity to uh, pimp our stuff at the end of the show. But uh, before we do that, Adam, I, I think you're up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as we always like to start with a question, for our show and uh, keep it related to this, uh, my question for Richard is what large construction projects uh, have you been a part of before? Yeah, we've had a bunch of small little things that we've done around the new homes, which are um, my home and our vacation home, both are new builds, but we weren't involved in that build process. So I wouldn't really count those. Those were kind of last minute customizations. I think the biggest thing that we ever took on was the first row home we ever um, bought in the city, we renovated about half of it, expanded the kitchen and recouped some space that had been previously used as just an open vaulted ceiling area. And in doing that, I did all of the planning for floor plans, for the wiring and for the both electrical and low voltage and then all for the cabinets and all that stuff. I did all of that myself. Edward and I figured out where we wanted everything, how we wanted it all laid out, and ended up with exactly what we wanted. It was amazing. There were a couple things I would have done differently, but the one thing that I remember taking away from that was my contractor thought I was absolutely nuts when I showed him the wiring plan. His contract had something like, I think, maybe five as he put it, CAD5 pools in it. So we were going to have five CAD5 wires in the house. And I showed him my electrical plan, which put 
in every new room and some of the old ones too, two different blocks of multiple cables. This is 20 some years ago. So this is in the day of satellite television and everything was wired and we still had landlines in all of the rooms. So I had a block that would have a phone line, two ethernet lines and two coax terminations as well, plus one audio. I had uh, stereo audio go into each room as well. And I had, except for the audio, which only went into one place in the room, I had two places in each room where I had those pulls, like, like opposing corners of the room so that we could pretty much do anything that we wanted to in any room at any time, no matter how we arrange stuff. And it ended up working great. The contractor, of course, screwed some stuff up, but for the most part, it was the best decision I ever made to overwire the place because we never had a problem with being able to hook stuff up later. So if you want one in a place, run three because, (laughs) hey, (laughs) that that still happens to this day. I just go, put three there, and then you get to the, yeah, that's slightly broken. (laughs) What a great and re- relevant answer for, for what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, Adam, uh, you're doing a big project now, but have you ever done one before this? So, the answer is roughly no. This is a new one for me, but I think it's colored a little bit by we actually built our first home in 2006 and built with a builder, but it was kind of more like you pick a model and you get to pick the colors of things and your appliances and that kind of stuff, but you're not making like light switch level decisions. And there were tons of things about that home that drove me crazy. And like they were putting these models in like a bunch of places. And I'm like, whoever designed this thing was nuts. Like this light switch controls this thing, like halfway across the house, like just made no sense. So I think that has informed uh, me later and always led me to want to do something that was a pretty blank canvas. But this basement is really kind of the first time we've been able to like make every decision. You know, when we bought this house, we planned on building, but ultimately, you know, we found this house and liked it enough. We've done small projects, but nothing that ever required a permit. So this is the first biggie. Cool. How about uh, how about the others? Quickly go around with the others, TJ. Yeah, I've never had a personal project like this. I've been on many, you know, job sites where it's you know redoing a whole house or somebody's you know finishing their basement like Adam's doing, or you know, in commercial properties like an entire floor build out where they're you know they're ripping everything out and rebuilding the walls. And the large project I was just on in downtown Columbus. I think it's two conference rooms and four huddle rooms and, you know, the unit was completely gutted. And so obviously I wasn't part of the actual construction of it, but, you know, running the wire after the fact and installing devices and stuff like that. So that's where my experience with these kind of projects come to them. Cool. How about Seth? Yeah, I, the the current house I'm in, when we bought it, it was built in 1969 and and basically sat from 1969 on, like no, no improvements whatsoever, <laughs> no, no kitchen remodel, no updates. Like it was a time capsule with, even with the old black and well, I guess the black and decker under counter can opener thing from like the eighties was added in, but that, that, that nice. was again, 
an improvement that they made to the kitchen. Everything else was original and I had to do a lot of ripping things out. And by the time I was ripping things out, I'm like, I should wire this house. I should put, I knew I was wiring for TVs and that kind of thing. So just a bunch of Cat5 pulled around. Kind of your idea, Richard, like I'm pulling all these wires and my father-in-law comes over and he's like, that's a lot of wiring. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I kind of want more. (laughs) It's not that much. (laughs) Right. So um, luckily got it all done and um, I've had to retrofit a few other wires in, but luckily what I pulled six or seven years ago has held up and and has been uh, working for us. So I guess maybe a little bit longer than that. But it's been nice to have everything wired like I wanted it rather than have live within the infrastructure of a house that was built in the 19, you know, 1969. So like it would have been would have been bad. <laughs> it would have been very cool. bad. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you sharing pictures of a trench you were digging mm. through your cement, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that was the underground plumbing. The pipes that bring water into the house had already been replaced, oddly enough, because those go bad here in Florida. It's a, it's a thing. They just they break and you have to repipe your house. But the the underground ones that, that take the water away, the sewer away, um, those had corroded and, and co- collapsed or something. They couldn't even get the inspection camera in them in certain places. So that was a, a last minute decision that we made uh, and basically yeah. cut a lot, a lot of the budget out. But yeah, that was that was not fun. But it, it's comforting to know that the sewer pipes will work in my house. <laughs> yes, you, you want the proverbial stuff to flow. Exactly. Exactly. Very, very comforted by that fact. <laughs> <laughs> since, since you both have talked about Cat5 wiring, I have to tell a quick story about our first house, which is that I did have them put Cat5 in almost every room. And uh, when talking to the builder, they're like, this is the second most number of Cat5 jacks we've ever done in a house. And I was like, tell me about the first. It's like, well, the guy who has the most moved his laundry to the basement from the laundry room and he turned his laundry room into a server room. And I was like, yeah, I don't want more Cat5 jacks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Owen, we know that you built a big, huge home theater project for your showroom, but have you ever done any uh, personal construction projects like this? And done means, you know, you hire people. That's, that's Yeah, right. I mean, well, to be yeah. honest, I even when I built built mine, I, I hired a builder and then I just <coughs> basically, despite being his boss, I worked for him for the duration of the build, you know, because it was cheaper, right? And actually, we're still talking. That's, that's, that's like a good thing. Um, so this house I'm in is 150 years old. And the Victorians weren't the problem. They knew what they were doing. They engineered and built solid things. It's all the stuff in the middle. So it's the guy, someone in the 50s decides to put a really low-slung fireplace while he's listening to Dean Martin records, and it's all kind of made out of solid concrete sitting on wooden floor. So taking all that by hand to the tip when we moved in, that was really good fun. We've been basically not gutting it and starting again. We're just doing it one room at a time. So the bathroom is now good, finally, and the front room is now good because the, the week we moved in, plaster started falling off the walls. And this summer, <laughs> excitingly, is the dining room and the kitchen. So, you know, it's very, very eventually one room per year becoming quite a nice house. I've got one cat cable running from where stuff comes in to my office, which is here in the loft. And I did that basically because there was a lockdown and I didn't have much else to do for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Made a big difference, you know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's one cat cable. (laughs) It's got a join in it as well. (laughs) (laughs) So we should all do that again. Uh, All right. Well, fun answers as always. So 
If you have a question that you want us to open the show with, you can send it with the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard or send it to us at feedback at smarthome.fm. Maybe one day we'll come up with a fancier podcast feedback uh, system like some of these podcasts are doing these days. One of these days. So to start us off, I wanted to kind of give everybody an update on what all's happened since our last episode. Uh, If you haven't already, go back and listen to that first one. But things have been happening. So the biggest one is, you know, we officially signed agreements, got things moving, and we started construction this week. So we were joking that, you know, we would have some hammers banging in the background and you'd be able to hear it, but I'm, I'm far enough away. You're not going to be able to hear it. So, um, we can edit those in later, but, um, so yeah, so that's exciting. And most of what conversations that happened between this group was just some things that we were trying to get solidified for kind of locking down the design. So, Owen and Seth were nice enough to kind of hop on a call with me and we talked through some things about the room layout and specifically kind of where the first riser was set up and distance as well as seating. So I think the big recommendation that came from Owen was instead of having the original design called for three rows of kind of theater seating, three seats at a time. I think the big change based on Owen's recommendation is instead of that, we're going to do two rows of theater seating of three and then a console table with some seats behind it. So not only will this allow us to seat more people in the room, but, you know, Owen, maybe you want to describe a little bit about the acoustic experience for that last row and the reason thought behind that. Absolutely. Cool. Um, So one of my, one of my things is um, I'm a CDA volunteer. I do a bit of that. And I've been lucky enough to be pretty late, actually. I came in right at the end of the process um, working on the RP22 recommendation for uh, immersive audio in the context of 3D audio and Dolby Atmos and all that good stuff, trying to really kind of put down some proper standards-based engineering into this. And one of the things that we know, but because the information doesn't dissipate out to every integrator, is that... You can't really have seats against a back wall. It just kind of ruins the the spatial experience. It sort of ruins the feeling of being surrounded. You basically can't persuade your brain that you're not sitting next to a back wall. So that was thought one, because I really didn't want that for your back row. I thought, let's bring them forward so you don't have that kind of I'm right against the back wall experience. Also, when the speaker's in that back wall and you're much too close to them, that's really disjointed. And the second problem is one of energy, is just of distance to the screen speakers. That third tier, because your your theatre is pretty long, if we instead bring everyone forward, and so they're much closer to the second tier, we don't have to lose as much energy as we go to hit that tier. So they're going to get a much better experience, they're going to get much more sound level, and they're going to be much more surrounded when they are there. So that's that's kind of why I wanted wanted all that. Also, just a little practical thing. It's easier to construct, right? Single riser as opposed to two. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely took took some money out of the budget and, and made things a little bit simpler. Cool. So, Are you going to spend nice. it? Don't worry. You're going to spend it. <laughs> yeah. You're totally going to spend that anyway. I mean, you guys are going to spend it for me. It'll, it'll go somewhere. Don't worry. 
But yeah, the only main, you know, I, I kind of brought my wife into this and was explaining it to her. And her only concern was she didn't want somebody like crunching popcorn in her ear. She's like, if they're going to be right behind me. And I'm like, all right, well, either we'll make sure you're in the front row or the rule will be when you're in the theater, no, no eating in Katie's ear. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be, be that close. It probably won't be that big of a concern. Yeah, for that. I, th- I think that the person least... next to you is a bigger is a bigger yeah. problem. Yeah, you know, just turn turn the volume up a little bit more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Throw a blanket over them. They, you won't notice them. So the other biggish decision was, you know, as we've been talking about this, and after our first conversation, TJ and I had talked about the prospect of maybe having him come here from Ohio and you know do the full job with me. And so as we signed contracts and, you know, started getting serious, I said, you know, hey, TJ, do are you serious? You really want to do this? Want to come and kind of look at the schedule and things like that? And so I think more or less uh, that's the game plan. So it'll be fun to kind of bring this full circle and uh, have TJ come and work on it. All right. Well, you need to make sure that you um, let me know what the schedule is so I can make my flights now. <laughs> and anybody and everybody is welcome. And yeah, I, it might as well be said, a group effort, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we, can all, we can all pitch in and help out. I, I got to say, TJ's coming for the food. Well, yeah, right, it, right at the end, for the right? Food. Just to, just to calibrate. You know. <laughs> yeah, right. Just, just the glory bit, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's actually perfect. So my wife and I, we like to travel, and we've been talking about going to Illinois for the past several years. And so, you know, it's a good opportunity for that alone, but to, you know, help somebody that's a friend of the show kind of, you know, build their dream theater. We will get some good footage off it and everything like that. So I, I think it'll be a great experience for everyone. And initially it had me a little worried because the timeline I don't think was going to match up, but it sounds like the timeline is really in a good situation. Now, I think you're aiming for what July, basically end of July at this point that kind of helps with everything else. Cause I got Infocom in June and then we have, you know, Cedia in September. So however we can space that out, we'll, we'll aid, but it definitely sounds like it's happening. So. Yeah. The, the current construction schedule should wrap up at the end of June. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty flexible on when we do the theater work too. So I've had to set the expectations, especially with the kids that like, when the basement is done, like it won't necessarily be done, done. And, you know, there might be some time in between for, for some other things to, to come into play, but yeah, certainly excited about that. And I think that'll be fun. And, you know, we'll, we'll record some content and, you know, make it a good, uh, well-documented project for TJ too, that he can use for his business. So that'll be great. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. July works great for me too. So, um, yeah, we'll make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> All right. You also had a big electrical plan put together for the basement, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in our second half. But before that, we're going to take a quick break for sponsors, and then we'll return with more smart home discussion. Everyone says that starting a podcast is easy, but let me tell you, making a podcast is hard work. That's where today's sponsor, Lightning Pod, comes in. If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. We've been working with Lightning Pod founder Eric Johnson for more than a year, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting, but he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. 
So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. Okay, so getting back into the weeds of this, one of the things that we talked about initially was where your screen was going to be, how the room was all laid out, that sort of stuff. And we talked a little bit about the screen, but did you want to talk more about some of the details that you've kind of honed homed in on? I always get that one wrong. You hone a plank, you home in on something. And if you've made any decisions yet, or if you're still looking for some input in the areas of like the screen, the projector, speakers, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely looking for input there. I think, you know, my goal has always been to go as big as we can go. And uh, I think Owen has tried to be my voice of reason. And, you know, we can talk about that as we talk about projector as well. But, you know, I want to go as big as we can go with good quality and, and without, you know, really affecting the quality. So I think that's the balance we're going to try to achieve. And then I think the other one is I'm quite a big fan of doing the acoustically transparent screen. I think it gives you a lot more options in terms of where speakers go. And I just like the idea of the speakers coming, you know, the sound coming out of the screen too. I think it gives you a better experience. I have a little bit of experience with this as we did this at my parents' lake house. Uh, and by we did this, I mean, you know, we hired some guys and they did all the work, but you know, we at least, I at least helped with the planning and, and picking things out and, and stuff like that. But Unlike this, you know, my father was just plowing through a construction project, so he didn't calculate projector distance. He didn't do a whole lot of things, and I was kind of left picking up the pieces, trying to figure out how we were going to do what we wanted to do. Like pre-wire, uh, he did no pre-wiring to the point where, like, there really wasn't a good option for, like, rear surrounds or ceiling speakers, and, like, it was kind of a mess, so... I look forward to at least doing a lot more planning and, and get this right, unlike what went on in that project. But yeah, so uh, love to hear what, what everybody thinks from a screen perspective. They have a, a company they like, thoughts on size, things like that. I have a company I like, but they don't ship to America because they're pretty small. So that's not super helpful. He does make some amazing stuff. I know, right? (laughs) They are absolutely looking for someone to like almost license their technology and bring it out into the States, but that's going to take longer. And, you know, it's usually not that way around, right? Usually things are invented over there and they kind of (laughs) dissipate, but which is a shame because they also make the coolest fabric tracking system that you've ever seen. Like five years ago, none of us could fabric track and none of us knew how to do fabric walls. And now we all can, and it's easy. And it's all thanks to my friend, Roddy. Hi, Roddy, um, who owns a company (laughs) called Cinema Build Systems. And it's just really cool stuff, but I don't know what the US equivalent of that is. And fabric tracking is? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so nobody wants to see acoustic treatments, so it looks like a studio, I don't think. And also, very similarly, we want to have acoustically transparent screens. You've got to hang it on something, come on, wait a minute, Owen. Isn't it really cool to have that egg crate foam all over the place? I thought that was the thing, no? (laughs) Um, (laughs) They make them in different colors now. (laughs) (laughs) Could you checkerboard? I'm a a big fan of a fabric wall because you can change the color anytime you like. You don't have to see anything. I do think it increases your sense of immersion. 
like if you just don't see a speaker and if you've just got a kind of darkish matte 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 wallpaper effectively yeah, but it happens yeah. to have acoustic treatment behind it where you need it and only where you need it as well because most rooms are over treated and similarly with screens if you just have a lovely stretch frame stretched over a frame so it's sort of like the stuff that you would have on a screen door in the US you know you kind of you put the material into something right that's what track fabric is and that's what fabric walls are cool so it's cool. yeah it's, it's just the only way to fly and then you put your cool lighting effects kind of around that or your subtle so does anyone know of a US company yeah I don't know about what Owen's talking about, unfortunately. Um, I have two companies I work for uh, with screens, and that would be Screen Innovations or SnapAV. SnapAV is probably the one you'll find most common around here, just because Snap is kind of in every dealer's pocket at this point. Um, <laughs> screen Innovations, I think, has a wider selection of screens, um, and you definitely pay a, a more premium price for them. I think the... I don't know what size screen we're going to end up falling on, but for example, with Snap AV, a 145-inch AcoustaWeave screen, which you know, which is the uh, acoustically transparent screen, at 145 inches, uh, you have to have the thick bezels around there, you know, that you typically get with a home theater screen. Whereas Screen Innovations, you spend maybe twice as much, and you get one that you can choose the actual screen material, and you can make it custom for whatever application you're putting it in. But also you can choose one that doesn't have a bezel or anything like that or has backlighting and, and all kinds of fancy options. So, Owen? You want the bezel. And the reason you want the bezel is yes. because you want to absorb the final centimeter of stray light and have a perfectly mm -hmm. crisp edge. You absolutely want the velvet bezel. That's absolutely part of it. There's no projector in the world that's so perfect that the edges aren't a little bit blurry. So you just overscan ever so slightly and then it's cool. It's yeah, it's, it's, there's always, it's always an issue. Uh, I would also add to the list, Stuart film screen. Yeah, Stuart are awesome because they make yeah. it over here and they're fantastic. Yep. And screen innovations are too. They're really, really good. Yeah, um, very You pay nice a song. premium because there's no trade agreement because, you know, because my country is stupid. But <laughs> we have those makes over here. They're Your both country? very well regarded. Mm. Yeah, a little I bit. I think it's everybody's country <laughs> at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So what were you thinking, Adam, in terms of size? I mean, you said that Owens talked you down a little bit. What did you have in mind? Let's, let's do the Adam expectation and then the Owen dream killer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't remember what was on that proposal I sent you guys, but I want to say it was 145, 150 inches, something like that. So I think I remember Owen talking a lot more closer to like 120. I don't remember exactly what my dad's was, but my main goal was it for it to just be bigger than my dad's because, you know, <laughs> uh, his is like one, 110 or 120. So, yeah. Is everyone here so taller we, than their dad? Because that's a really good day. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Nope. <laughs> and, and my son is coming for me, too. So, yeah, I, I dread that day. <laughs> so you're looking then more along the 120 size. Now, something I've been curious about, Owen, where do you fall and where does everybody kind of fall on the idea of any sort of, I don't even know what you would call them, uh, like dynamic masking for screens? Is that still a thing or is that like overrated or? No, it's amazing. 
There's one little problem. <laughs> it's ridiculously expensive? Yeah. It's quite expensive. No, it's, it's, it's on the roadmap for my place. I've literally left space around to add. Because my, my, my screen is 16.9 because that was correct for the space and the available stuff. So I want to add top-down masking. And actually, my friend Roddy makes it so that you can just add the masks on top of the screen you've already bought, which is just awesome. And two things happened. One is that I got really busy. And the other one is that I just don't have it in the kind of available budget yet. Um, we are doing that. We're definitely doing that because it's so cool. You know, just if the black border moves, it's just the best thing. But to give context, it's about three times the price for a mask screen as for a non-mask screen. Of course it is. Because but- it's, it's just precision engineered roller blinds, right? but they're really wide and they've got to move millimetrically. And you're talking about a market niche that is teeny, 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 tiny. So whoever's going to make that for you, they're virtually making a handful of them in a year. So for all those reasons, they're very, they're wildly expensive. And because they're wildly expensive, nobody buys them and it's getting better. Like they are coming down in price a little bit. I think people are figuring out ways to make them more efficient. And I haven't sold any yet and I'm annoyed about it. (laughs) <laughs> but I think I think an, another better part about it is that the technology is built into the projectors. Back when I was doing this, we had to buy these sleds with lenses that would run in front and make a panamorphic lens out of a normal projector lens. And now, like with the Sony's, it's a digital thing. It takes a few minutes for it, or a few seconds, I guess, for it to kind of set up. But once it's there, you're you're good to go. And it's it's real nice to have that just kind of built into the projector itself. And is that an actual physical mask so that no light is coming through in that masked area from the projector? Yes, yeah, Seth's talking about the other part. So a projector will naturally usually be a 16.9 panel. Now, really, right. if you want to do CinemaScope natively, what you do is you buy a Barco, which actually has a CinemaScope panel. But then that still has to do movement so that you can watch it in 16. Right. You still need to be able to right. watch the TV. So that's the the lens optics-based stuff. Now, just to give context, the Barcos are twice as expensive as the really good Sony. And so that's that whole new range of quite rarefied. They're very good. They're very good. But it's a different level of theatre than we're perhaps talking about today. And then masking screens, exactly so. So you have a black cloth border that's just moving up and down or side to side, or in some instances, both, both is pretty cool. You know, what about, what about my four by three? What if I want to watch the first <laughs> yeah. season of the Simpsons, you know, you do get four way masking and then they're twice as expensive as the regular two way masking screen. So we're talking <laughs> quite interesting, lovely theaters at this point, but okay, it's, it's, so everything's fine. doable, but you just need to throw money. You know, it's, it's just all, yeah. Yeah, all money. Adam doesn't need to finish the rest of the basement. He could just put all the money into the theater. Or, <laughs> I mean, we could we could auction some children. You know, that might yeah. be the way to go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Okay. So we 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 probably won't be doing masking to start, but you know, you, you gotta you gotta have you gotta have improvements to add. You know, in the future. That's too. right. There so, you go. You know. Put That's some cable and some power. By the screen, just for that. Yeah. Some yeah. cat cable, some regular bell wire, and some maybe some four core mains would be cool because you've got kind of an up and down for the masks, those sorts of things. In my place, I ran two lots of four core mains because I kind of know what I'm doing soon on a, on a product I can actually buy. So, you know, mains cable is always cheap, right? And when you talk about a four core main, if we translate that to US speak, is that like a I don't know, 
Is that like voltage. a 12.3 or something? Is that? I don't know. I don't know in terms of gauges. I mean, ours was about one a millimeter thick, so whatever that is. So I think that's about 12 gauge, I think. I know this stuff, but yeah, I just, probably just normal power, yeah. It's, it's, it's 12. Because it's, it's not for big things. It's for, it's for motors. So you, the idea yeah, is you yeah. have a normal live and then live going the other way because up and down, and then you just have earth and neutral, hence four cores. Mm-hmm. So that's what you yeah. would need because effectively that's how what you would need for a regular shade that was mains driven. Yeah, we'd call that twelve three. Yeah, that's what that's typically what they ran. It's a, they use it for fan wiring for fans and that kind of thing. So you get yep. an extra switch. Yeah, the, cool. the, the amount of jargon differences is enormous. I mean, I, yeah. I don't. Know, it it I is don't crazy, right? Back on the screen now. Didn't we talk earlier about how the screen and the projector you need about you need to be thinking of those together, not just in terms of size, but maybe even in terms of material. Yes. So I think we should talk about the projector a little bit and we can kind of come back to um, the screen as it relates to that. I did find my dad's is 110. So even if we go 120, 130, we'll we'll meet that requirement. You still win. Yep. Yeah. It's not a competition. I've been living with the projector that Adam's looking at for the last six months. So I'm going to tell you what I know. First things first, in terms of screens, you've got two ways to generate an acoustically transparent screen. There's the correct way, which is to use a woven material, and there's the hopelessly Stone Age old-fashioned way, which is to use a perforated vinyl screen. Now, the problem with that is the perforated vinyl screen has no advantages. Brian Long has written a paper on it for Simpty, which I'm not going to remember. But effectively, for example, the vinyl screen with the speaker behind it, you get so much energy bouncing back off that vinyl that it will make the whole thing sound quite a lot worse. Whereas with a woven material, it kind of dissipates harmlessly through. There's that, but there is a, a relative reduction in terms of the gain. In other words, the amount of light you're going to come back, that's going to come back off your projector. It doesn't have high gain, like a solid, solid vinyl screen would. It can't, you know, you're going to lose some light effectively, but I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it for having the screen and the sound all happening from the same place rather than trying to find a speaker above or below, which will really ruin the sort of, you know, the sound to picture consistency that you experience. So it's worth doing, but be aware you lose light. Now the Sony device we're talking about has got 2000 lumens of brightness and in a reasonably dark room that translates to, you need to go about three meters wide, not a lot, a lot wider than that because you'll just find that the picture is dull. And because if it's dull, it's not bright enough. It's not engaging enough. You won't kind of lose yourself in the movie the, the correct way. There's another way, if you want to go a, a bit bigger, go into sort of 130, 140. But you have to bring money because that is the next level of Sony up, which has got a thousand more lumens and which is amazing. And I've taken that to my place. Sony, Sony were kind enough to lend me one for a customer job. And the guy didn't spend much time looking at it. He just went, yeah, that'll do. So he's having one and, and I hate him, you know, <laughs> but for that thousand. So uh, it, anybody that, you know, we can add some links to the show notes, but these are Sony's uh, 4K laser projectors. VPL XW 5000 ES is the main one we're talking about, uh, which retails here in the US for about six thousand dollars. Go to that next one up and it basically doubles in price. So. I think we're probably targeting that tier one, you know, even if it, even that's if exactly what happened this, to me. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still a very good image, right? You're you're not missing yeah, right. out on too much. I mean, there's obviously differences in them and everything, but you you have a pretty dark room from the get go. So you're you're not battling battling against like outside light sources and stuff like that. So you're in a good position. That, that is there. true, and I am happy with it. But I'm going to throw one more piece of uh, Buzz Killington type information into the mix, which is. Oh, yeah, always. I would probably force my sources into standard dynamic range, and there's nothing wrong with that. The scale of having proper cinematic picture is so much more important than having your very, very bright bits, like the sun glinting off the lake, a little bit brighter. HDR and projectors and sensible budgets don't mix. One thing has to give. And I think here the thing that should give is SDR because it's going to be amazing. I've done the experiments. I watched Top Gun Maverick, especially, which is in HDR, which is a really good movie. In HDR, in my place, at the calibrated image, which looks good and accurate, it was a bit underwhelming. In SDR, it looks awesome. So I've left wow. it there. That's very interesting. I I would not have thought to even... HDR, you need about 50 foot Lamberts more. Yeah. Interesting. And you haven't got That's it? That's funny. <laughs> you know, I, I've been kind of sucked into the HDR hype. But if you asked me, I don't know that I could tell you whether something was HDR or not. I don't know that I've watched something and said, oh, that was so much better because it was in HDR. So I get about 34 foot lamberts of brightness in my place if I use one of the bright presets. But when it's ISF or PVA calibrated, actually, my calibrator was with the other guys, the Professional Video Alliance. I don't know what the difference is. I assume they're both good at what they do. And I lost about, I think it's about 25 now, something like that. And there's just no doubt that HDR and that level of brightness don't mix. But don't let it worry you because on a TV, it's nice. It's nice to have. And TVs don't have a brightness problem. In fact, often TVs have a too much brightness problem, right? But with projection, we want to be immersed. We want to have that lovely experience. So just just force the whole thing into SDR. It feels a bit weird because you're not kind of getting the buzzwords, but it'll be good. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It sounds like more or less if you want to do HDR, they're bringing everything else down a certain level so that that HDR stuff can pop. And so you really want to sacrifice everything else for the high dynamic range stuff. Or do you want everything to look awesome? I I would I would tend to agree. Let's make everything look awesome. Yeah. And I I think once we you know, once you get done with what we're talking about and if anybody were to do this and have it the room that you're looking at doing it's going to be nice enough where you're not going to you're not going to notice a difference at all there's, there's no nobody's going to walk in and go that was an hdr i can't believe we had to watch you got Tom. ripped off yeah like, well what would actually happen if you put it in hdr is they go that was a bit dark and that isn't fun yeah. whereas yeah the, leave it in sdr everyone will go that was amazing i loved it i'm only spoiled because the guy the demo with the 7000 only happened about three or four weeks ago so i've just got it in my memory and i'm like Excuse me, sorry. Um. <laughs> so it, it was an interesting. It's an interesting data point because I I really hadn't thought about it. Usually, when you get the new shiny toy with a new shiny feature, you want to turn it all you on, switch it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, uh, is your decision made on the projector then, Adam? Is this this is what you're going with? I think so. You know, I think you know between talking to you guys and I guess reminding some of my things that I'm looking for and kind of where this meets that sweet spot. I do want to do laser 4k and then, you know, for occasional gaming, I did want something that could do 
low input lag and you know this projector seems to check those boxes about as good as you can on on a projector there are probably some that are a little bit better but way crappier projectors so i think this is the right sweet spot to kind of meet all of those requirements so you know we don't need to run all the numbers and bore the listeners with that but you know we can use that to kind of calculate where do we need the power plug for the projector, um, yep. the runs for that, and then um, kind of a final decision on on screen size? Well, it, so, it, right. So they're all interrelated, right? You're, you now have a projector. You know you're going to be able to pick the ideal or optimal screen size from that. Based on that, that's going to determine where the projector goes and where that electric needs to be. Do I have that right? So what I suggest you do, let's take the minimum screen size that I'm kind of recommending and let's work out the throw distance based on that. And then let's take the biggest that you could ever take it slightly against advice and let's work out the throw distance based on that. And there's going to be an overlap point and that's where your power's going to go. In other words, so yeah. you can hedge that decision. Ah. Yeah, I think it makes sense. And I think one thing that Owen mentioned at some point that I'm not super worried about was like, you know, sometimes there can be a little bit of projector noise. And so you want to be careful about where you put it because, you know, if it's right above your head, you're going to hear it. I think with how high the ceilings are in the place, I don't think that's going to be a big issue. Try and get it outside the main two tiers anyway. I think I think you're wrong because I've got one. Um, and funnily enough, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm entering CD Rewards this year. I'm not going to win because I know who else I'm up against and I know how much they've spent on their room. So caveat, 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 I'm not going to win. Nonetheless, I was doing noise floor calculations and because mine is right at the back and out of the way and it's in a box, it's decent, but you can hear it. And if I put my head pretty near to it, even at kind of a meter or so away, you can still notice it enough to change your experience. I would try and factor that in as well. Put it put it in front of the guys at the back because that won't be you, if you can. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> fair. I think we'll uh, we'll play with those distances and we'll find the uh, the best uh, compromise between you know Owen's ideal distance and uh, and as big as Adam wants to go. And, um, <laughs> we'll find something that everybody will be happy with. It's a great idea. <laughs> Nice, nice. I feel like Scrooge at this point. I really do. What you want, you know? <laughs> I think you're you're out of cold water at this point. So like, it's all positive from here. Like, you you you're only going to spend Adam's. I mean, uh, you're only going to uh, suggest positive things from now on. <laughs> all the bad stuff's out of the way. I do appreciate the voice of reason and keeping me in check because yeah, I mean, I think had I not consulted with you guys, had I just you know, when we started talking to this builder, they basically said, yeah, there's this guy, they do our AV, you know, this is your choice, more or less. And, you know, that guy just kind of plows through and sort of like, yeah, whatever you want, you know, kind of thing. And I'm sure you guys in the industry deal with that sometimes where somebody's so fixed on, you know, this is what I want. And you're, you can be like, you're not going to like that, but they won't let up on that. So I appreciate having the input and, uh, and definitely will, will listen to you guys. All right. So we've covered screens. We've covered projectors, speakers. Owen, you said you had some suggestions on speakers and I know that, uh, we've already kind of 
smashed Adam's intention of uh, speakers for the area outside of the theater. How about inside? What are we, Adam? Let's start with you. What What were you thinking for speakers? Did you have an idea here, or are you totally up for suggestion here? Yeah. So I think you know my main requirement uh, or kind of thought on speakers was that I wanted a full Dolby Atmos type setup. So I would say I'm quite open to how many, what kind of what configuration, you know, we've talked about 7.2.2. We've talked about 7.2.4 subs. So I think some sort of front side, rear and ceiling speakers and, you know, two or four subwoofers. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm open to, um, you know, what you guys think. And I have no preconceived ideas on who to get speakers from, too. So uh, it's kind of what we can do, you know, within a reasonable budget and, you know, what makes sense for the room. So I guess I should say some stuff. Um, (laughs) All the makes I get on with are American, actually, because it makes sense because you know, home cinema is about going loud, right? And, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's literally, it's, it's, it's in the job description and everything. Whereas (laughs) British hi-fi speakers, they're all a bit polite, aren't they? Like, okay, chaps, you know, and that's just not what you want. Um, (laughs) Now where I fall down is I've no idea what things cost. I'd imagine they cost quite a lot less in the home market because that's how it works. And the, the makes I get on with particularly are at sensible-ish prices, either Klipsch, which I've got, or Definitive Technology, which I just don't have but really like. And I think you'll have a little bit more effortlessness and a little bit more sensitivity for your budget, which will just it'll just help to reach the people in the second row more easily from whatever amplifier you end up getting. So it just depends. But I don't have any prior about how much how how far your money's going to go. In terms of speaker layouts, well, it's obvious, isn't it? You're going to wire for at least 9.1.6 and you're going to run two extra ones into the ceiling just anyway because you will wire for more speakers than you're going to fit. I love it. (laughs) I love the look on Adam's face when you said that. I just love that. I like the idea of future proofing. And, you know, even, even if we take on a smaller number to begin with, giving some options for the future, I think is always a good idea. I'm curious to know what Owen's take is on in-wall subwoofers. I know the ones that we kind of have specced in at the moment are pretty expensive, you know, because they're in-wall and they have the little amplifier and everything with them. What's your stance on in-wall versus just in-room, Owen? I'm for it. Only because, I mean, looking at Adam's layout, I think a couple of boxes at the front would be weird would be weird to sort of blend in and make it work. I don't think you'll have space underneath because it used to be easy, right? Because the sorts of sizes we could achieve were so much smaller. You know, you're talking like, I don't know, 100 inch wide maximum. And then you've always got space underneath for a big box sub. I think that's less true these days. And I think a screen wall that doesn't have one is pretty cool. So I I like in wall subs and there's lots of choice. Um, I have two 12 inch driver Klipsch ones that are about as tall as my son which is B7. So they're about kind of a little boy tall. Um, They're really cool. Um, Now they do, I haven't finished sort of completely rattle testing the place. So there's the odd little buzz at some frequencies from some music, but no, I think they're worth having. I think in more subs are great. There's some new ones from SVS, which look really promising that are keenly priced and go in the wall. So yeah, I don't know. 
when you're looking at um, speakers in particular, like what are the what are some features that you're looking for on the speakers that make them stand out? I know last time we briefly spoke about them not being floor standing loudspeakers or something like that for the cinema. And and you were okay with in this particular install, we're definitely doing like behind the screen in wall speakers. And of course the rest of them around the room will be in wall, but what are, what are some of the attributes on there that you're looking for? Like THX certification or anything like that? When, when you come across a model number, what, what are you looking for? Yeah, I, I went. To, I went with THX in my place. I'm happy and confident that George Lucas knows more about cinema sound than me, you know, and that he has experts available, because they are literally specifying that it's got a nice even frequency response. Where we want that, that it's got wide dispersion. Where we want that. In other words, that it's not just very directional and point saucy. That you know, people who aren't in the absolute sweet spot should get a good experience. If your dispersion characteristics are suitably benign and nice and smooth. That is a better experience for all the people. Now, almost no speaker manufacturers actually give you the data you want to prove that, which is a thing called a spinorama. And I think it's partly because they don't trust integrators to use that data wisely. And it's partly because they're scared because their competitor might look at that data and go, oh, well, look at that. There's something funny about the graph. But in pro audio, this data is widely available. And in residential audio, this data is massively hidden by manufacturers who've blatantly got it. Because the standard clip or machine that you use to test loudspeakers spits that out in seconds it's not a problem and what's the other one and i things that can go loud you know things that can go loud without distorting so often that means slightly higher sensitivity than the average hi-fi speaker those sorts of things so thx is a good start but obviously there are very worthy contenders that happen not to embark in thx certification have that certification yeah i imagine it's like a a paid marketing thing too that they submit their speakers well, you, to be tested. You definitely do pay stuff. to play, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's 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 factored in. But with the other, with with everyone else who isn't, you just don't know, yeah. right? Right, right. So yeah. you either have to build up a body of practical experience and go, yeah, these are good, or get involved and get them tested and measured, or hope that someone trustworthy has tested and measured them for you as a sort of hobbyist endeavor. And the problem with that is a hobbyist who's not getting paid, well, he can make mistakes, right? What are you going to do? Right. Or you can buy a clip or machine, but they're hundreds of that they're they're a lot of money. So that's probably out. Yeah, more than the theater, probably. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. So right. these things are all in wall. I know we talked a lot about soundproofing before. Does that complicate the soundproofing in any way? Does now now we need to I don't know what the right term is, but we need to basically insulate the speakers. We need to make sure that, I mean, if you're if you're basically busting a hole in a wall to put a speaker in there or behind the wall, then or really you're putting now it's closer to the opposing one in wall. front. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yep. The, the back wall of the, so, so what I did, well, I mean, I kind of did it mostly properly, but it wouldn't be what I did in a new build. Is that behind my, effectively, there's a thing called a baffle wall, which I'm going to suggest to readers that that's sufficiently complicated that you should google it because i can't explain it to you in the time available a baffle wall is the screen wall and it needs to be solid so mine is drywall and then a layer of ply and then another layer of drywall because that's how solid i need it to be and the the in-wall speakers the important screen ones go into that now luckily for me is behind all that there's actually a brick wall that's the outer wall of the building and there's insulation between the back of my speaker and the um, brick wall itself that's pretty good because sheet material isn't that expensive compared to, you know, home theater level loudspeakers. So if we can think of a layered wall that's actually covered in absorption material at the front, 
that's got the in-wall speakers in it, well, something cool happens there. You, your bass response improves. So you get some free bass for your trouble. And I don't, I don't know many people who are like, I want less bass in this system. I haven't met those guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you won't find any here. Yeah, right. But what about isolating then sound in the room and outside the room? The room behind it. Well, this is the thing. I think, I think behind it I think is the, the battle arcade. wall should be in front of the structural wall to the arcade, if you can. Or failing that, at least get some, some tech sounds, some membranes, some stuff, some layers between <clears throat> the theatre and the arcade. Now, if your loudspeaker is sealed and not just open drive units at the back, things will again improve because it's a sealed box, right? So therefore the main thrust of the energy is moving forwards into the theatre and not backwards into the arcade. So look out for those as well. Look out for some sealed speakers. Okay. I know I'm not asking for much, am I? <laughs> just extra walls now. So, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Adam's yeah. contract will love you. As I, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, okay, maybe that's not going to fly. Maybe we just, I don't know, take the arcade wall and actually put an extra layer of drywall staggered as well. Staggered is really good in front of that. So, cause that's only going to be, you know, half an inch, right? You could put some green glue on the regular arcade wall, yeah. maybe put even a layer of wooden board, some OSB, something like that. Maybe even another layer of drywall. You've added an, you've added an inch, but you've added half an inch, but you've done good things. Yeah, the the trick with with sound is to remember how it it transfers, and sound energy will transfer through solids faster. And the way you stop it from transferring from one solid piece of material to another is to separate them so they don't touch, um, because the energy coming out of the one solid piece of wood is going to be much lower than what it you know originally started as. Um, but it's not going to be able to transfer through that air gap, and that's essentially what the baffle wall is trying to do. That's essentially what. You know, the floating floors, hung floating ceilings and walls are all trying to do is just give that plane that you have to have as part of your construction project, the plane, the, like plane, the, the, the flat piece of wall. When you activate a speaker in that, it becomes the whole wall becomes a speaker at that point. And so you have to think about how to minimize the energy transfer from that wall into what is either behind it or yeah, even the ceiling, like you don't want them to touch. Um, so there's all sorts of little like little goops and foam pieces and padding that you can put in between them just to make sure at construction time that those parts and pieces don't touch and they're physically separated by a material that will not either impede the sound or not allow the sound to transfer that energy to transfer from one plane to another. And in the case of the one that that backs up to the arcade, which is is the opposite of the front wall of the, the, the cinema. I, I don't think that anybody here is going to say, oh, well, you'll be able to go into that arcade and not hear the subwoofers rumbling in this giant theater because uh, you're you're definitely going to hear that. Um, there's, there's going to be enough, enough energy transfer that's going to go through that it's going to be hard, if not impossible, to block 100% of that. But we can knock it down by building, like Owen's saying, this baffle wall that either extends into the theater a little bit, makes it, that wall a little bit thicker, and separates those two particular planes so they don't touch. That's the trick. Just remember, you don't want things to touch that you don't want sound transferred through, and, and you'll be good to go. Sound is tricky. Yeah, we can definitely talk about some of that. I've said, you know, I'm not super worried about somebody hearing it within the basement. You know, if, if people are in watching a movie, like, I don't think, for the most part, people are going to be in other places of the basement, or if they are... That'll be the call of like 
come join us in the theater. Like, <laughs> you, you, there are things happening. Well, it, it, it's the it's also the other way, right? So if, if somebody's playing the pinball machine in the arcade, right. you don't want to hear that in the theater. Right. So it's not exactly. just a one-way transfer of energy. You have to think about sound transferring both ways if it has a path. It's not that... You, that we're not going to hear the subwoofers rumbling in the arcade. What we don't want to have is the opposite direction. Somebody's watching TV in the arcade or something. You don't want to hear it in the theater. Yeah. Fair point. And uh, yeah, especially the pitball machines, because they can be quite loud and those will be on the other side of that wall. So yeah, that's a good thing to remember. And, you know, but my conversation with the builder has been like, if we're going to focus money and energy on soundproofing to do it, focused on the ceiling and sound getting to the upstairs. Um, You know, that's the bigger concern. And then doing the basics and some green glue and some of that kind of stuff in the rest of the theater space. So, yeah, I I think we're in a pretty good place on soundproofing, but definitely as we do some of the like final walks for framing and stuff like that, I'll, I'll definitely raise some of these concerns. And yeah, certainly, you know, as you guys look at the plans that I sent you, if you think we need to add any additional walls or stuff like that, like now is definitely the time to have those conversations. So we should uh, talk about that sooner rather than later. Yeah, just just be aware. And, uh, you know, you may need to get some glue to hold the paintings on the wall in the arcade. You know, if you have anything hanging up there, it may rattle off fairly easily. So just something to think about. Yeah, I mean, I, did, I didn't do anything, right? Because my facility is basically in the back warehouse of a lighting showroom. So... You know, I just kind of built it. And the warehouse guys are very understanding. So if I need to crank it up and be crazy loud, it's not very often. And it's actually weirdly not that bad. We're just with nothing. Uh, Like the guys in the main store can't really tell when I'm doing stuff. And that's only, that's quite a few meters away, but it's just the sort of the next room again. That said, I don't recommend doing nothing because nobody lives in my place, right? You know, um, but it's, Yeah, yeah, it's... Definitely focusing on the transfer of sound from downstairs upstairs i know that when we we spoke originally there we noticed that there was a like the main air duct for the entire heating system was basically running right over the top of the theater so you don't want to have the the sound energy from the theater transferring into that you know whether it's by air or by vibration uh and and ending up into an office where somebody's trying to be on a zoom meeting or you know or or into a bedroom where somebody's trying to sleep it's it's never that's not going to be fun for sure. Yeah, that was definitely one of the concerns that I raised and, and something we're, we're trying to make sure we take care of. Yeah. In terms of speakers, I do, you know, I have had some good experiences with Klipsch in the past and I've, I've had some of their lower end stuff that I put into spaces. So I think that's one to look at. But, you know, I think, you know, TJ and Seth, as we look at, you know, what's available and prices and stuff like that, you know, I'm, I'm open to anything. I think that THX certification makes a ton of sense and, you know, we should look at stuff that have that and, you know, see what makes sense in the budget we're trying to hit and kind of that seven ish point two point whatever, um, kind of, yeah, four <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, I think, you know, I like Owen's idea of wiring for more and, you know, and then we'll we'll figure out what speakers make sense and, and arrangement and stuff like that. Something that did come up when I was talking to kind of the, the general contractor the other day 
and the guy about doing the pre-wiring was he did mention that often in-wall speakers come with like something that you build in during the construction that makes it easier for them to like be mounted later. I don't remember what he called that. It's typically just a back box that they, they put things in. Um, if it's, yeah, construction yeah. rooms aren't that, I mean, yeah, you could do that, but that's, I think in the theater, there'd probably be some kind of built fabricated box around the back. Yeah, usually usually you'll do enclosed boxes, the ones I have experience with at least. The disadvantage of doing the cut-in rings during construction is that you have to 100% know where everything's going to go and how it's mm. going to actually line up. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll actually just leave the wire in the wall behind the drywall and then cut them mm. out at the time of installation. The theater is probably not as necessary, but it, it really helps in like kitchens or dining rooms and stuff like that, where maybe you've changed where like the chandelier is going to go, or you're changing the actual chandelier itself or the lighting fixtures. You can kind of place the speaker wherever you want if the wire's just in the stud cavity. If you've got the pre-construction ring, then you're stuck there no matter what. The pre-construction ring definitely makes it easier because you can just go in afterwards and just throw the speakers in and then they're done. So it kind of depends on on what you want out of it and, and how sure on everything you are. Yeah, I, I guess what we're trying to tell you is, yeah, you probably need to decide on speakers before you do pre-wire because some of them do come with those back boxes for construction. And if you do that and you're building all this special, you know, non-transferring baffle walls and drop ceilings and that kind of thing. You don't want to have a giant hole in the ceiling where you're just laying a speaker up there because that's going to ruin the entire effect. <laughs> like it's, it's going to blow every, all the other efforts that went into the other soundproofing and, and, and mineralization. Like it's all going to blow that out of the water because the back of that speaker will be exposed to whatever's behind it. And so, also something I often do when I can, and you absolutely need, you, you need to know less what you're having. Sometimes it's just really good order to just build a wooden box between the, well, I'm assuming wooden joists. I don't know that. Yeah, or, typically. Well, I've done it one of two ways. In a metal ceiling, which is a problem, possibly a problem because it might ring a little bit, might make some noise. So try and get them wood if you can. Just, yeah, make a ply box and make it nice and big and just make it quite a lot bigger than the biggest speaker that you're going to put in there. And again, find some way of finding it because, you know, when the, when there's, when they've put a load of mud all over the ceiling, it's not always the easiest. Um, yeah. Unless you've either measured it millimetrically or you've left something sticking out of the uh, the ceiling so you can find it again. That's cool. They work really well. It looks like if I'm looking at your plan, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go to visuals here for a second. But if I'm looking at what is, and I'm not going to use the actual directions, but let's just say the north wall, the top wall of the home theater, where it, there's a maybe your foundation wall or a brick wall for parts of it. There's obviously the two, maybe there's two speakers that could go there in those walls. There's areas there that you'd be able to build that box that Owen's talking about in the wall there. And same goes for the front, where we're talking about between the arcade and the theater. You'd be able to build your baffle wall, your boxes in there at pre-construction, seal them up, make sure that they're not touching any part of the wall behind them. And everything would be good to go. Then you can put the wall on the arcade. You can put that wall up after you're all done and everything is sealed on one side. So there's certainly ways to do this that don't involve those pre-construction brackets. I, I just kind of get chills when I think about that. And like probably want to do this differently um, than, than just like the regular house audio stuff that you're going to, you probably would put in everywhere else. 
Also, models change. Can you imagine? That'd be annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the biggest <laughs> issue. I forgot to mention that. You know, you're basically stuck with that speaker just because a lot of times whenever they come out with a new speaker, it's not the exact same footprint. So you're either taking up less space or you're taking up more space. And cutting out those rings can be a pain, especially if they're on like studs and everything like that. So. Especially if you have a plywood wall with two sheets of drywall covering it with green glue in between it, it's going to be a pain no matter what you do. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I like that idea of doing the the plywood boxes, and yeah, we can certainly talk offline of where and uh, what size well, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're going to need to figure out what speakers are what you're aiming for, what speakers are going to go in there. Like TJ said, you're going to keep. You're probably going to need to buy whatever you you want for speakers today and store them somewhere. But the thing is, is like the interior of that box is going to have to be made to spec, not the exterior. Cause I know a lot of, a lot of contractors and how they work. Like you give them the dimensions they made, they made a box and now it's the exterior. Like I can see all sorts of things going wrong with this, but like, it's, it's part of the process. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to be like, who are these <laughs> man? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I like to get speakers to site build a box around this it's yep. got so much less potential to go wrong i like to get at least one of everything i'm having to site as minimum that's always really cool because you can just sit there with them and go oh, i'd like it to be like mm-hmm. this please and then they go okay because of course if you can give them a perfect drawing for them to ignore that's not going to go <laughs> as well and exactly. tell them this speaker costs ten thousand dollars but i want you to build a box and they'll be super careful with it they'll put gloves on and everything but yeah <laughs> i like it I want to talk about lighting, but is this the time? Yeah, I think we should. I and think just what I noticed, there's a couple by the screen, and I'd really love you to just move them across to the door. Yes, yes. Like you some, see this some a in-ceiling lot. People downlights. like get those Vs yeah. of lights over my lovely projection screen. Ideally, they're on the same circuit. So even if you want some light at the back, you've got to light up the screen as well and ruin everything. Don't do that. Um, yeah. It's super simple, but if you do it now, you know, I mean, maybe you'll have some, oh, um, I don't know enough about ConnectSense. I don't know if lighting control is part of that whole thing, in which case you're kind of across it, right? It's got some outlets. It is not. Yeah, we do outlets. But um, but yeah, I think light switch wise, I'm going to do all Lutron, Cassetta <laughs> um, stuff. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. that's the plan there. But yeah, I agree. Having Having the lights on, the cans right over the screen makes no sense. If you move them to right over the door, that would be really cool. And if always, I always like to put two or three at the back, just right at the back, because it doesn't really mess with the, they'll probably end up behind the projector, I think in your instance, because it's just nice. You know, you can sort of see what you're doing. You can pop open a beer, you can do this and that, but it doesn't really affect the projection experience. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than working in a theater and having absolutely no light. Like I get that your theater is going to have the lights off, pretty much all the time. But at some point you're going to want to clean in there or service something or or do something. So you need adequate lighting for sure. Yeah. Oh, and on low voltage, I mean, for example, I suppose I'm always thinking about it in the context of fabric walls, and I'm not even sure if that's really a thing in the US outside of Dennis Erskine level kind of mega theaters. But um, low level lighting is quite nice. Something maybe along the skirt line, just some LED tape, that kind of thing. I think that's really nice in a home theater because obviously it's for safe entry and exit. And again, it doesn't mess with what's on the screen too much. Um, so just easy, low voltage, some profile. 
Yeah, linear lighting is probably one of the fastest growing categories for custom integrators right now. And there's not too many people doing it. What's funny is I'm fine. Like we're, we're pretty heavily invested in it right now. And I'm finding that the guys that get into, that have gotten into lighting over the past couple of years that we've been working with them, like they go, this is good business. And then they, that now they're an electrician that does AV. <laughs> so it's like they, they basically move their entire business over to, to, to working with linear lighting. But it, it does, aside from adding accents and everything, you can do all the cool RGB, uh, W lighting and everything. It, it does make a big difference uh, to put that stuff in there. And, and when you say below the skirt, what are you talking about below the... Below the- um, well, I, I was thinking about it as basically my fabric wall stuff sticks out. So I basically yeah. cheat and hide the linear lighting just above the skirting so it kind of glows up the skirting. So you've just got this nice glow. It's really lovely. Yeah. But that is assuming that a guy who trade doesn't trade in the US would be trading in the US. So I'm, I'm going to tail <laughs> off now. So <laughs> it's yeah. a great, I mean, honestly, as someone who's listening, right, we've got this very cool technology and a man is looking to license it to a massive market because I don't think it would work any other way. Someone would have to basically do some tooling and sign an agreement and produce it over there. So probably won't be ready in time for July is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's stock, Owen? <laughs> Always with the dream crushing. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> what, I'm going to change, gonna change the- my name on Slack. Buzz <laughs> Killington. Yeah. One more quick thing, Adam, that they may want to change is where the dim. I don't know if the dimmer location is correct, but you may want to have it on the not behind the door side of the door. Yeah, I think that Always makes small sense. things that you catch like that later. Yeah, no, definitely. And I actually think that door is not accurate it's going to swing out not in okay um but i still think having it on the the other wall probably makes more sense so uh, unfortunately richard had to go and isn't able to join us on his favorite topic we can talk about it more uh next time but i think one of the things he wanted me to consider was you know currently there is no lighting on the walls and and then kind of the the tough part here is we're definitely going with some pretty modern, you know, fixtures and things in the house and, you know, modern lighting pieces and things. So, you know, the kind of old style wall sconces, I don't know are really going to fly, but you know, I'm open to some suggestions here if you guys think there are some something that would fit with Maybe if you look at what we picked for some lighting stuff and still be pretty modern looking. I struggle with it. I struggle with it not look because I I like the idea of wall lights, but then I can't find any that are kind of not either super retro or whatever. There's the Italian company Floss or FLOS make these really cool, like they're just like circles, you know, just um, spheres rather of of light with these kind of very nice modern kind of L-shaped brackets that they're sitting on. They're really lovely. And they're really expensive, and someone's copying them. So that's that's about that's what I'd probably have in my theatre is copies of those. Yeah, it, this is one of those super subjective, isn't it? Yeah, interior design questions that I was never good at, and I always just kind of had to punt on. Usually, people had you know an idea of what they wanted for lighting on on the sidewalls. Uh, sconces are, I mean, in the right use, they're they're good to have. They're not going to add anything other than look to your theater when it's not running, right? Like you're not going to have those on while the theater's running and you're in the, in the room. So practically from a practicality standpoint, it's, it's decoration. Like we're not, I don't think they are going to offer it. It's not going to prove your sound or your video to have a, a lighting on the wall. However, 
when you walk into the room for that first time or somebody walks in or, or just reusability, they may add to how the room looks and feels. And that, that's a big part of a theater when, when you walk into it. it it's, it, it's an experience. It's uh, what do they call it on ATP? When you listen to uh, the vinyls, the vinyl records, it's a, it's a tea, tea service or something, tea, uh, tea party. Like you have to like have everything just lined up and it's, it's an experience. That's, that's what you want out of it. And that's what you're paying for. So it may as well, if that experience extends into like what happens before you walk in the door to set the atmosphere, that's part of that experience. Yeah, you're looking for two wows, right? You're looking for the wow when someone walks in and the other wow when you've just played them something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would just head on down to like a, a lighting showroom and, and look for like a modern, you probably don't need that many, like one or two for that sidewall. And then look at and see what, what looks modern and may fit into what you're thinking about doing in there. Um, oh, and you did some really cool, I, I guess they're not sconces, but it's linear lighting like down the sides in between your panels, I guess. So that, that was kind of a cool idea. Yeah, I, that wasn't original. The, the the way that the the walls are all kind of completely crazy and all at angles to fit in with the, the technical design, that was pretty original. I haven't seen that this side of half a million quid anyway. But just putting them between the panels was yeah straightforward. You just get an LED profile that's often actually the same size and shape as the actual fabric track profile. So it all just sits on the same flat surface. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. Obviously it's really nice if you can put gradients and have some of them lit up and others not lit up or make them move or stuff like that. But I don't think we're, I don't think we're necessarily there, but even just, yeah, quite dim kind of warmish white kind of thing would be very nice just between some stuff. Yep. Yeah. I was, I was just looking at the picture, um, which you can look at Owen's website. We'll include the link, but that is pretty cool. And, you know, having something simple like that, I think would, would accomplish the goal. Yeah. And and that's just about how you do the panels. Owen went went crazy. So his 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 are the pixel LEDs. What he's talking about. So in each individual LED, you can be changed to a different color, and you don't have to do that. Like you can just stick like with what you have behind you, uh, Adam, on on our screen that we're looking at is one of those. Uh, I forget what brand that is, but it's it's the same idea. Like you just would have um, an individual. Oh my nano nano leaf. Nano leaf. Yeah, yeah. Each one of those lines, like you see on his website, would be a, a single solid color. And it, depending on how you wired it and how far you wanted to go with it, you could make each one of them a different color. Like you could have, you know, a rainbow effect with giant lines, but that none of that is hard to do. It's just, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to do some nano leaf stuff elsewhere in the basement. So that might be an interesting way to go as well if we could do it simply in there. And then, you know, it, it can be controlled separately or kind of its own thing. So we've got wiring for control for the screen, pre-wire, I guess. We've got, we talked about projector wiring. I think we've talked maybe offline because we do a lot of that in our chats um, about conduit for the projector, just making sure that a Smurf, like they call them Smurf pipes here in the States. It's a blue flexible conduit that is very inexpensive and it doesn't have to do anything special other than tie into a low voltage mud ring so that you can get, or a, a conduit box so you can get back to it later. And, oh, what, and so this you just is, can just hedge the decision about where the projector goes? Is that the idea? Well, no. Yeah, so you, you can run wiring in the future if you need to yeah. upgrade the wiring or whatever. Yep, that's the idea. So <clears throat> yeah, and you, it's yeah. basically what Go I ahead. do for that is, you know, the, the Smurf tube's a, a wonderful idea and you should absolutely, absolutely do it for the projector. What I like to do is I 
put the Smurf tube, you know, basically right above the the little voltage ring, and then I'll run my wires out, you know, during the construction phase, run my wires outside the conduit. And so that way you have that whole conduit in the future to add and stuff. And it's empty. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Without taking up anything. And you're already in the construction phase. So it's not like it's much harder to add the conduit or put the wiring outside of it. You're probably nice. going to want, you know, three quarters to an inch conduit. Because yeah. if you want to run like a fiber HDMI cable or something like that, that connector is going to be, you know, like half an inch wide at least. So you're going to want a decent bend. size. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the thing with conduit as well is you want to make sure it doesn't have very many, if, if any, you know, 90 degree angles or anything like that. You want it to be smooth. And it doesn't necessarily have to go to the rack from the projector. But that unfinished basement where you're, you know, the utility space where you're putting everything, you know, just put it right in the ceiling in there. And then you could always route the cable from there if necessary. Right. But you're talking, you know, 5, 10, 15 years of use before you're probably going to use that conduit. So, Or if something goes horribly wrong. Yeah, like all three wires or, you know, the three wires you run to the projector get cut or something like that. Then you have that yeah. option, which, yeah. which does well, happen well, quite frequently. Oh, while we're talking nightmares in my dad's project, they had run a HDMI and left it in the wall and it got cramped or, mm-hmm. you know, destroyed in some way. And so we were left trying to figure that whole mess out. I don't remember what we ended. Maybe we ended up running it over over Cat 6, but that was not fun. So, yeah, I'm all in for that. And for projectors, I like to do, you know, three cat six, or you could even do a couple cat six a for, you know, 10 gigabit connections and stuff, but basically three cat six and uh, what you're using all three fours, one you're using for audio distribution, or I mean, video distribution, I should say one for control and then one for internet or, or audio or distribution if you need <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah. And you basically, you basically have a third one for backup if, in case something's wrong. And then you have the conduit as well. So you can always just do something simple like a fiber HDMI cable or, or something like that. Makes sense. Last topic we will round out with. So, you know, one of the things that as I've been kind of figuring out any last changes and things I wanted to do, I had kind of proposed putting some more power in because I wanted to do some Sonos throughout the basement. The collective here said, we're not putting Sonos speakers up. You're going to do in walls. <laughs> so, um, and, and Sonos amps. So I, I think I've come around to that idea. Do you guys want to share a little bit more about kind of the thoughts of, of doing in wall speakers elsewhere in the basement and, and Sonos amps? Yeah, a, a lot of people don't know that you can use the Sonos amps as the rear part of a surround system, and it, it ties in. There's a there's a way. Used to there used to be like some back menus that you had to go through. I think it's it's more in front of you now, or, or the ability to do it within the app. But used to you had to go to some random web page and, and set it all up. Now now I think it's a lot easier. But as long as everything is configured correctly and the wiring's all right, and you've got the speakers where you want them to be in the ceiling, you can use that Sonos amp to power those speakers as a rear channel audio for surround sound when you're watching TV or something with surround in that in that room when you're not and it's just playing music in there all the speakers the the sound bar the rear in ceiling speakers they all play at the same level and there's there's actually two sound control when you go in the Sonos system, you can kind of adjust those surround volume, music volume. You, I think you can adjust those separately now. So it, it's actually a really nice system. We use that 99% of the time and it, it really works well. So uh, I, I highly encourage any place you have the ability to 
toss those in-ceiling speakers in a Sonos amp in, uh, and, and you're thinking of Sonos and you're already in the Sonos ecosystem, g- just go that direction. You're, you're th- yeah. So to paint the picture a little bit for the listeners, in the basement, uh, when you come down the stairs, immediately to your left will be where the theater is. Immediately to your right is going to kind of be a bar with a TV. And so we're thinking of doing Sonos Arc soundbar under that TV. And I wanted to have be able to have some music throughout the basement. And so I guess my question there would, somebody had proposed just one Sonos amp and one speaker kind of above the arcade area and one kind of in the entertainment area. Would that work okay with kind of in conjunction with the Sonos arc? Obviously, nobody's going to be doing like immersive movie watching. There's going to be an awesome theater right next door. But I'm thinking in terms of like, let's say there's a football game on and people are watching that or or baseball or whatever, some sort of sporting event. And we want to play it on those other speaker zones as well. You know, will that play nicely with the arc? Yeah. And I think in your situation, you're probably not going to use the whatever the sitting kitchen area that you have, you're probably not going to do surround sound in that area because, you know, five feet away, you have the really nice home theater. And so you're, you're mainly just looking for good audio throughout the space. And I'm a big fan of the dual voice coil because it takes up less room and has less clutter on the ceiling. You could do a couple speakers spaced out instead of the dual voice coil but honestly, your space isn't that big. And, you know, you basically put one speaker in each area and you're going to fill that whole area with audio. It's probably not going to be, you know, like a studio or anything like that, but it's going to be perfect for watching the game and, and doing whatever you want to do. And Sonos makes it nice and easy because you can just group all the speakers together and, you you know, it's instantly going around. You don't have to worry about controlling and you can control the audio, you know, different volumes and all that good stuff. So I think the setup is good. It just depends on where your focus areas are going to be in in those spots. You know, the the arcade's kind of easy. You're just going to place it in the center of the room. The little sitting area nook thing that you have is a little more difficult because it depends on what the final layout of that's going to look like. And then your bar area is easy because I would just throw, you know, Sonos Beam or Sonos Arc under the TV and, and you're done with it. I'm going to speak against DVC speakers. I hate them. I hate them with a passion. (laughs) (laughs) There's very few places I like to put a DVC. They do have their, their, I guess their opportunities. This is a very large space. And I would say the more speakers you can get in there, the better. I mean, at least I know that you're not planning on watching surround things, but like football games and baseball games are all broadcast and surround. And, and, you know, you're, you're probably, if you're at the bar drinking and everything, it's, probably going to be more comfortable in that experience to chill at the bar, watch the TV there, then go into the home theater and, and flop in a, in a big seat with the with beer and then have to keep getting up and back and forth to refill and that stuff. Like it, it just depends on what you're using those areas for. And I would say if you did just a, a simple 5.1 Sonos around in that bar area, it'll probably be fine for your arcade and your entertainment zone, hangout nook, all, all of the other locations that are like to the left and right of that. And if you did want to add a little extra speaker or something like a, like a Sonos one or a three into those other areas later on, that would be the way I I would go with that. But I would say you're going to get some mileage out of just an arc and just a 5.1 in that one room. It's, that is enough to fill up that area and more where it's going to cause problems is if you were having a big party and everybody's everywhere, 
the arcades going and there's, you know, 10 other people hanging out in the other room and everybody's talking to get the music at a, just a background level where you hear it evenly throughout the space may not be what you're going for there. You may need to add some supplementary speakers towards the bathroom, hangout nook area. I know that people can't see or the plan we're looking at, but you may want to do that later on. And, and if getting the NC League speakers is not a priority, it's, I wouldn't do them. But I, I definitely wouldn't do DVCs. Not for this, because you're just going to end up with one random speaker in the middle of this giant room. and That's no fun. Not for me. Yeah. And I, I think we could also wire for some things, um, yeah. you know, to give options in the future, too. I like maybe the idea of doing the 5.1 over the bar, one speaker in the arcade area, one speaker maybe over closer to kind of the built in seating hangout area. I think that would give us most of the coverage that I'm looking for. One trick when you run those wires, uh, run a 16.4 wire. I mean, a, a lot of guys will run. I, I don't know why 16.2 even exists in the AV industry, but they'll run a 16.2 like two different directions to both of those speakers. And it doesn't make any sense because at the head end, you end up with all these wires and it's just a mess. But if you run the combined wires, the 16.4, it's got four wires inside and you can run two speakers off of it. Run that out to wherever you want the first speaker to be in that entertainment zone. And if you ever want to add the other one on, you could toss the wire through the ceiling most of the times and, and at least retrofit it in. Or you can continue running it <laughs> to the next spot. And, and that way you can, at, at whatever point you want, you can have two speakers or one speakers uh, off of that one wire. So it, it's probably what the low volt guy will do. But if you say, I want a speaker here and I want a speaker here they're probably not going to pull the 16.4 to the first speaker unless they've learned. <laughs> it depends on how. As a, as a business owner, too, the 16.4 is a little more expensive. So I'm not paying times, for it. Well, a lot of times people <laughs> don't want to pay for that. So it's like, we're going to upgrade your wiring and people are like, ah, I really don't need it. Yeah. I mean, it's just 10 extra feet on top of whatever you thought you were going to pull anyway, because you're just going across the room with it. So when I was running wire, that's what we do. We'd start at the furthest one or we'd start, We'd run the home run, I guess, and then we would just loop over to the next one and use the same skew, and you don't have to worry about having not having the right wire on the truck. You always had the same thing. All right. Well, I think we will wrap things up here. I very much appreciate you guys and all of your input. Unfortunately, some of our uh, co-hosts had to go <laughs> along the way. So I guess in closing, where can everybody find you and, and listen to what else you're doing and, and what else you're doing for work? So TJ, you want to start? Yeah, you can find us on our website, connectu.tech, or you can find us on our Mastodon server, hometech.social, or the podcast, hometech.fm. All right, Seth? Uh, yeah, hometech.fm is probably the easiest place to find whatever I'm doing, and uh, the, the, the hometech.social, the Mastodon server that I'm trying to upgrade and crash every couple minutes here. Yeah, keep it live. I, you know, it's, 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 we, it's we a, didn't say that live, don't worry. It's a project. <laughs> But it's been running. It's been pretty good. I don't have my five nines anymore, but it's it's been pretty good. And and then I, I work my 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 jobby job is uh, I I work for a distributor uh, named Blackware Designs, and we're out of Phoenix. And uh, we we do a lot of work in the the AV industry. Like I said, between lighting and video, home automation, all that fun stuff is is kind of what we do. So if any integrators listening, that we work directly with them. We don't have end user customers, but we sell wholesale. We're a wholesaler of AV products. So. So. Awesome. I guess for, for Owen, you can find his business at cinemaworks.co.uk. Yep. And of course, Richard, you can find on the digitalmediazone.com and uh, his other podcast, Home On, which he I know he's done uh, a little bit of episodes on here and there. So 
check that out there. Uh, of course, you can find me. I'm the lone one still on Twitter at Adam Justice. Uh, you can find my company's website at connectsense.com. And I am, you know, slowly dipping my toe into the Mastodon world, uh, which I am Adam at justice.tech, which was the cool, you know, once I got that domain locked down, I had to put some Mastodon custom on there. So I've thought about doing that myself, but I was like, ah, we're doing the home tech one. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> exactly. So uh, Smart Home Show is part of technology.fm, a collection of tech focused podcasts, including the Home Tech Podcast, The Spoon, and Richard's other show, Home On. Uh, you can find notes for this show at smarthome.fm. And if you have any feedback for us, you can do so at feedback at smarthome.fm. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. 